two guests with us in the studio today. Ludmilla Yamalova back here for round two. Yeah, I didn't, we didn't have to rouse you from the sofa. We allowed you to go home. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> I, had to, I had to fight my way out, but yeah, yes. You well, you know, we, we, we like you being here. It's nice to see you. Talking specifically to Ludmilla today about uh, legal uh, HR employment issues. That's uh, really why Ludmilla is here to answer your questions. There are a number of questions to ask you in a moment, Ludmilla. And David McKenzie is back from McKenzie Jones. Nice to see you. Yeah, thank uh, you. Still uh, iron manning it? I am, yeah. No, season's ending soon, so mm. I'm uh, now firmly on the land and running instead of swimming, running and biking. Okay, I'm feeling healthy and bringing us uh, broken biscuit cake. Thank you very <laughs> yeah. much. That was actually just for you and uh, uh, Elfty wanted me to bring oh, it Your in. wife, Elfty, I have to say a big thank you because that cake is something else with Miller's. I don't know. I know. I mean, she's whacked <laughs> through already. It's an amazing cake, isn't it? Yes, thank you. Thank yes, you. anytime. <laughs> <laughs> it was just what I needed this me. afternoon. That, I little, know, a, that little energy boost. I've got my second piece here. A little sugar pick-me-up. That's mm. the nice thing. Just before we get into uh, employment issues, mm. we were talking about what three words on uh, Business Breakfast this morning. And this is... Uh, a company that has created an app, an online application, and what they've done is split the world into three meter squares, three by three squares. And all of those squares have three words. They're I- uniquely identifiable by three words. Outside the door of ARN Towers, for example, if you said to somebody, find me a link keenest recipe, you would be able to geolocate them. Why that over coordinates? Because perhaps words are slightly easier to remember in some circumstances. So you could see that if it was a an emergency situation in some way, that could be an easier system to mm. use in some ways. What was that one in this? St- it was tablespoons, coffee... What was the last one? <laughs> I've forgotten because See? I'm, I'm concentrating on other things. So we can't remember the three words. But yeah. I was a bit sceptical, wasn't I? I'm like, why yeah. would this work? Mm. Why would we need this? But Marie's texted in and she's sort of backing up one of the reasons you gave for it, Tim, as being useful. She said, I heard about three words after the earthquake in Nepal. It's perfect for locating in context of natural disasters and emergencies where there is no address system at all. So thanks for talking about it, says Marie. And you did try to convince me with that argument. So now I feel... Yeah. I understand a little bit more now that Marie's, but it did just sound a bit silly to me. Why can't I remember that third word? That's bugging me now. What were we? Was tablespoon, I, tablespoon, I, coffee. They were trying to remember this. I can't remember. That's what we are in now, oh, apparently. Yeah. Tablespoon, coffee, something. Yeah, it Se- was. Seashells. Seashells. Well, there, there you, go. you go. But I mean, the thing is, if you, the thing is, you're concentrating on lots of things. You've got questions that you want to ask David. You've got things you're going to want to ask mm-hmm. Ludmilla. You're looking at two computer screens. You're looking at a text screen. You're looking at all the garbled notes that I spat in your direction from the printer upstairs. So you're you're concentrated on other things but if there was a situation that was uh, uh, that overrode everything else around you an emergency situation it's probably reasonable to assume in the absence of a, an addressing system and most countries don't have an efficient addressing system that you could remember three words together rather than coordinates that that's kind of i think that's right at the base of this so that's the kind of point we were trying to make i just think it's clever you know it's gonna be interesting to see what the military uses for so if they're, they're looking up picking up a medivac or something you mm. know can you pick me up at um angry beaver hill <laughs> actually they probably use that, that anyway like, that was like my t- tiger to- it's, it's interesting you picked those words david what did i call t- <laughs> tiger tiger toilet central i think was mine and i don't know why yeah. would, so can you can you pick a place so where i live would be bald running man or something <laughs> uh, you you can't assign your own the, ah, this app has assigned those words to every single what yeah. size is a square tim every it's three by three meters yeah. so, so my house would have about five different words to it your, your house things. i mean i don't well, know he lives in a palace obviously yeah. <laughs> in, i don't but 
in Shea McKenzie, I have a feeling there'd be a number of unique words that we could probably apply. Not all of them. <laughs> Palazzo, <laughs> Palazzo McKenzie. Thank you very much. But it's a, I think it's a really clever idea. Anyway, they were on Business Breakfast this morning, and the podcast is available on uh, the Dubai Eye Facebook page. I think there's a link to it there. It's also on the website. It's just a really interesting story, um, mm. in addition to all the other geolocators, because Google Maps now, whatever you may uh, think, is just so useful who doesn't yeah. use google yeah. maps now uh you know so that's uh, one side let's go to uh, a question to start things ludmilla if i could put this to you and it's actually a question that came in for you yesterday on the property legal hour the kind of expanded property legal hour uh this was to do with uh, maternity what's the law regarding maternity leave during a probationary period no name on the text that came in but let's try and answer that Indeed, and the um, sort of the punchline of the, of the message was: Is it possible to extend probation given the yeah. maternity leave? And the short answer is no. Probation cannot be extended, and uh, w- be it by maternity leave or any other leave. So, therefore, if um, let's say there was a six-month probation, and uh, the person took forty-five day maternity leave during that probation, uh, at the end of the w- when they return to the office, uh, the probation will have, for example, ex- uh, ended uh, at that point, and there's no other way of extending that beyond six months. Um, let me give you another example, because a lot of people uh, misunderstand how probation works. Let's say there's a probation of three months, and then the person left during the first three months. Uh, can it be extended? And many people think it can be extended up to six months. The short of it, probation cannot be extended. The law is drafted in such a way that it disallows companies to uh, to put anybody on probation for more than one term, whatever the term may be. So the law allows for the maximum of probation to be six months. Uh, but if you've agreed originally, for example, for a three months probation period, that cannot be extended up to six months. So you have to agree to the probation from the beginning, and after that, it cannot be extended beyond whatever the original term was. Okay. I, d- I did not know that. So if you if you not getting on that well, or your or your employer wants to give you a little bit longer to see if you can get into the job they're not allowed to do that they've got Indeed. to make a decision you're either in or out correct mm. yes so there's wow. probation cannot be extended so the law allows you to opt for the maximum of six months so the recommendation is always opt for the six months because obviously if you like someone you can always confirm them earlier but you cannot do the other way around you cannot extend probation once you've agreed to it first there's one additional scenario possibly i guess if you do your three-month probation and uh, you get through that and somebody's still not sure and they promote you and put you on another probation is that a possibility no, you can't no, do that no and that's okay. and it, the, mm. the law is drafted in terms of parties so it's a company versus a particular individual it's not about the position or the role of that individual it's between two parties so the two parties cannot be put on probation beyond the first original uh, period Okay, we've Great got uh, a number of questions in here for you, Ludmilla. Legal questions to do with uh, jobs, HR-related activities to Ludmilla. Questions on career path uh, and also questions on what we're going to be talking about next to David McKenzie. That subject we'll come back with in a few moments. Is this future jobs you need to prepare for? If you're thinking about a particular career, if you think I'm really good at flying my drone, well, maybe you could do that professionally. Uh, who knows, in a few years, plus the other stuff that we perhaps haven't even thought about. That's the subject today on Career Connect. This is Drive Live. On Dubai I 103.8. Drive Live. Two guests with us in the studio today. It is David McKenzie from McKenzie Jones. We're going to come to your topic in a moment, David. Malik Yamalava is back here once again. She has uh, answers to questions. If you want to come in uh, and join us on the phone, 423-1010 is the number or by text 4001 or via the free app. The topic today, uh, we're going to 
look at this, top jobs in 10 years that might not be what you expect. In other words, how do you prepare for a job that doesn't yet exist? It's often said that teachers are teaching children for professions that do not yet exist. There are jobs appearing uh, that you would never have thought 10 years ago could be a thing. For example, social media influencer. 10 years ago, that was... Not even a twinkle, I would guess, mm. in somebody's eye. But there are people making very real, hefty amounts of money and running very strong careers as social media influencers. Alex, uh, who uh, is kind of headed in that direction with her Instagram. That's part of what she is now uh, pursuing. And fair play to her. But, you know, genuinely, David, 10 years ago, social media influencer, what on earth would that have meant mm. to you? I think there's lots of jobs. I mean, let's face it, Uber wasn't even around... Sure. What, six, seven years ago? So I think the whole job market is changing. I mean, that report came from actually the, the World Economic Forum and said humanity will be out by 7 million jobs by 2020 due to automation. It should be clerical admin, stuff like that. But the upside is there'll be 2 million jobs created through technology. So our, our world, you know, advising kids and advising people coming out of university now is going to be very difficult because half the jobs that they're going to be seeing in 10 years time won't even be on the cards now mm. and if you're in school you're you were talking during the My break boy, your boys yeah. uh, in school looking at you know what they're going to do with their examinations what they're then going to do in their careers and they're mm. saying to you my son's very much the same um 13 14 now just having decided what he's going to do for gcse uh but does he want to does he know what he wants to do i don't no. think he does and it's difficult I, i'm a recruiter i'm trying to advise my 15 year old kid what to do i just said be cool <laughs> <laughs> did you did yeah. he did he think yeah and good he, advice and Dad. he just went yeah I do do think you guys have got to remember, though, that what they teach kids in school now will help arm them for some of these. For example, kids Mm. learn coding in the same way that we maybe learn to language or other things. They learn a lot more technical skills or IT skills are way ahead because a lot of these jobs looking at the list, David. Mm. I mean, I love I love some of these. Um, For example, one of the jobs, smart home. A smart home handy person. Brilliant. So you're no longer going around to maybe fix the washing machine. You've also got to fix the uh, the internet because it's the internet of things, right? That house is, mm. is connected to the internet and everything's working off a server probably. So you've got to be an IT specialist as, yeah. as well as a plumber, for example. Um, virtual reality experience designer, a drone manager you mentioned. I mean, these are very technical jobs i think that was as we said a lot more technical jobs being created so i think our kids are being prepared for those yeah. they seem out of this world to us but maybe not th- no, th- they're armed with those skills anyway you're absolutely right i think one thing there's a common theme through this it's about technology you you have to engage with technology and, and realize that i think i think trump made a, a comment the other day about jobs being lost in america there was something like i wrote it down it's something like 7,000 job, jobs or whatever. And it's not down to it going to China. It's going to, it's technology. Technology have taken over mm. manual stuff. Like we're, we're talking about, I think Dubai says in, by 2020, 2030, 25% of all the cars or the taxi rides in Dubai will be by driverless taxis. And that's a very good vision. And we're great at visions and we tend to carry them out, but that's not that far away. And that's a lot of drivers out of work. Potentially, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. What's going to happen to the RTA? But I then mean, somebody's got to maintain those driverless taxis, haven't they? So there's the new job. Technology. But here's, here's a really interesting one, and this is, sorry to digress slightly, but back in 1990, the US military started using drones for various things, for observation, etc. Uh, they had no drone pilots. Um, by 2016, they'll have a 1,000 full-time drone pilots. Now, the irony is they're all under 20 because mm. these kids have grown up through PlayStation. So what they do, sorry, um, various other things. So what they're doing, they're recruiting these guys at these gaming conventions. 
to come and be drone pilots. In the same way as the great security, software security people of the future will have at one point been hackers. And hopefully uh, hackers who've been turned. Uh, Ludmilla, what do you think? I mean, you are a legal professional. You went through years of training to find an established trade, if you like, an established profession. What are your thoughts? Well, interesting, because I've actually been following that very same trend in uh, within the legal profession. And it is also technology is starting to dominate the legal profession in the same way that it has dominated or is dominating all other uh, sectors of economy. And in particular, with regards to law, maybe most people think, well, law, it's sort of, we're talking about intellectual property. You actually need people and need people's brains to, uh, to, to make things happen, legal services, that is. But um, yet, even within that otherwise intellectually driven, Driven uh, profession, there is um, technology is becoming a lot more prominent, such as, for example, it's artificial technology. Mm. So, with regards to discovery, or and that usually in in you know the, other jurisdictions means reviewing documents. And mm. so, you, when I started out doing uh, practicing law. You know, now almost 18 years ago, there was a lot of, I started as a litigator, so there was a lot of document review. So you're sitting in the room reviewing page after page after page of documents that will be presented potentially in courtroom. Well, now a lot of that work can be done by technology, and so a lot more... Companies are coming in and offering all sorts of solutions. We're ultimately taking that uh, that work away from lawyers. Uh, equally so, and I'm seeing some of it also uh, sort of percolating in this economy, and that is how to come up with certain templates of agreements to give to people to use so you don't have to go to lawyers every time you need to put together some sort of an agreement. And there are more and more software, there are more and more programs that exist that allow parties to um, opt for that kind of uh, service. Obviously, it's, it's going to be a sort of a standard, if you will, or a template agreement. It will, it's not going to be customized to necessarily your particular needs, but it certainly is a starting point. So there are a lot more areas of law that are now also being replaced by technology or people are being replaced by, by technology. So even the legal profession is not immune. So we need humanity as much as we ever did because it's about, you know, you have technology. You can find a specific a line in Roe versus Wade or whatever precedent that you're looking for in seconds. I could do that on Google. So in theory, I could probably front myself as a lawyer and sound reasonably convincing, but it's the application, isn't it, that is the mm. Absolutely, and I will tell you, and I'm not that old, believe me, but I do remember when I was starting out to practice, it actually required finding, for example, case law, it required actually physically walking to the library and opening up a book after book after book and following a whole string of references. Whereas now all you do, you sub- subscribe to like a Westlaw or a LexisNexis yeah. And literally uh, at a click of a f- few clicks, uh, you have the entire history uh, of a case law and other secondary references that are linked to it. Uh, something that would have taken you in the past, I kid you not, I mean, this even before my time, weeks if not months. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned humanity as well, Tim, because it relates to uh, uh, David's mention of the drone pilots. And you were saying that, you know, if it's too automated um, and you forget about the application or the humanity side, the human side, it's actually mm. causes problems. And you're saying they've got the highest rate yeah. of um, post-traumatic stress disorder, which yeah. you wouldn't imagine when all they're doing is playing a computer game equivalent, but they're not. Well, what they're doing, you think about it, they're, they're seeing it in raw technicolor now because these, these drones have got cameras that are so good they can see people from 10 kilometers up and mm. so these poor guys are seeing it every day and if if it's you know in combat zone terrible terrible and in they're trying to they're trying to recruit more of these pilots but they're recruiting youngsters 
So, um, and that's the other thing, isn't it? It's the age. Are you are you up to a job like that with that kind of responsibility? You might have the technical skills, but mentally, are you? You know, the same as Ludmilla mentioning. Surely that was a good training ground for you. You must have learnt so much scanning those documents that would be lost to you if you didn't spend that time. Indeed, but that being said, it's a skill that's utterly useless at this point <laughs> in time when you have technology oh, such as Westlaw and LexisNexis. <laughs> to me, I think it's made me who I am. But fast forward a few years and f- five years from now, I I don't really see how valuable it will be for somebody to have had that experience. I always think when you're here, I always think, how come you've got, I don't know, 264 gigabytes more RAM in your brain than I've got in mine? But I'm always kind of quite impressed that there's so that's much it, there. You seem to have the... <laughs> <laughs> that's it? It sounded it's like a lot. Did you talking about te- terabytes? I don't know just are you talking about megabytes? Were you talking about megabytes or terabytes? Gigs, teras, She's I don't def- know, whatever no, you Miller definitely be. has terabytes. But I mean, you wouldn't change your days using a razor blade to cut tape, would you, to edit... <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> Since it's been automated. I come from an analogue time. I have to admit that now. Mohammed texts in and says, Hello, guys. Nobody can replace a lawyer. Nobody can replace you, Ludmilla. Thank you very much. I'll take it as a compliment. Anytime. David, you're welcome. I have, yeah, I have, a, I have a feeling on this. I think humans are going to become more valuable. Oh, let's say. Do you think so? I yeah, think be- certain be- humans. I think humans with certain competency and exactly. skills. Exactly. So, building a house, I just looked up on the net. A house was built by a 3D printer in 24 hours. Yeah. We don't need builders anymore. We need people to actually supervise how those robots work and the materials they use, etc. So I think some of the, the, the more administrative jobs will go by default. But what will happen is my, my industry is very human is human capital. I, I assess an individual on their personality. I sit in front of them. But we have got very good consultants that have taken away one part, which is the acquisition of candidates because things like LinkedIn and Monster – we can find them on that database. So I don't need very expensive recruiters to spend all day searching for candidates. I need them to sit in front of someone like you and say, you're good because of these reasons, and then sit and talk to the client. So my job has changed an enormous amount. Mm. But we'll always need people to do recruitment because you've got algorithms can assess whether you're a really good radio presenter. But ultimately, when you're on the air, that's when people will assess whether you're actually really good at your job. You sure. might have all the right criteria, but I'm you might sound dreadful on the radio. I By the way, you sound awesome, but I I'm just... I have a feeling that many would argue a robot would be just as good. But you can catch my the thing. I, I think humans I can, do. David. Yeah. I you were a 3D robot. printer design specialist is one of the jobs yeah. on your list, and exactly what you're saying. Okay, you might not need the builder to do the bricklaying anymore, no. but you'll need instead a 3D printer design specialist and somebody who can fix the 3D printer that's printing our buildings. And get it there. You know my massive house when I'm talking about those 14 different words? I'm building a huge extension with a 3D printer now. There you go. Palazzo McKenzie. A pool room. Yeah, that would work. A little (laughs) little games room for you. We'll come back and talk some more about this in a few moments, actually, but we're going to also look at some questions. Lots of questions in, particularly for you, Ludmilla, today. Legal questions to do with your job or your contract, uh, employment contract. Send those through to 4001. You can call us on 431010 if you prefer. If you have a question about careers or you have a question question about future jobs that don't yet exist. Perhaps there's a job that you wish did exist. There are a number uh, I wish existed, but we'll come back to that too on Career Connect. It is a little bit late for the news. Natalie Lindo-Taylor is here. No matter your preferred communication, stay in touch with Drive Live only on Dubai Eye.
103.8. Drive Live Career Connect. Claire uh, Sharrick is here today. We're going to look at some of the questions that are coming in. Questions to Ludmilla Yamalava on 4001. You can call in if you'd prefer, uh, if you'd like to speak to Ludmilla directly, 423-1010. Questions about, uh, those are legal questions, questions about careers, uh, careers to David. David McKenzie is here from McKenzie Jones. Career Connect. Right, let's start, Claire, with a couple of questions that you've got in front of you for Ludmilla. Yeah, coming up, there's plenty here, actually. 4001, of course, if you want to add yours. Uh, Ludmilla, Richard asks, should a guaranteed bonus of, say, two months' pay, which has been paid for the last seven years, uh, be included in a leaving gratuity calculation? Yes, indeed. Uh, any kind of regular payment, uh, in addition to the salary, is counted as part of the uh, the this basic salary for the purposes of calculating end-of-service benefits, and that's a principle that's been well-established and uh, long ago established by the Dubai uh, Court of Cassations and frequently uh, applied. So, for example, just in specific terms, let's say you have a salary, basic salary a month of 10,000 dirhams, which is 120,000 uh, uh, dirhams a year, and you have a, a guaranteed or a steady bonus of uh, two months, which is another 20,000 dirhams. So for the purposes of calculating end-of-service benefits, you'd be looking at, at a salary of 120,000 plus 20,000, so 140,000 dirhams a year for the purpose of calculating end-of-service benefits. And how long would be considered a regular payment? It doesn't have to be a guaranteed bonus, but you have to show you've had it certain amount of regularity. Correct, yes, well noted. So it has nothing to do with guaranteed. It's more about regularity of payment. It doesn't even need to be mentioned in any of the agreements as long as you can show that you have been regularly receiving uh, whatever that payment has been, irrespective of, of how it was classified, whether it was classified as a one-time bonus or a guaranteed bonus or a commission or what have you. And the courts have been quite specific about that. It does not matter how you classified on paper as long as it's a regular payment that creates the expectation of that payment, then that is regular enough for the course to count it towards the NSO's benefits. Now, in terms of the specific definition of what is regular enough and over what period of time, the law does not address that. So it's on a case-by-case basis. Uh, so courts will look at, let's say, we've argu- argued in the past a bonus over the course of for somebody who worked for a company for 10 years. We looked at the duration of 10 years and said the bonus it should be the average of whatever it had been for, for the last six, uh, 10 years. The court uh, took two years. There was no justification as to why, but they only took the last two years. So it depends. There isn't, And because these decisions with regards to what is counted as average are up to the lower court uh, uh, judgment, not to the court of cassation. Therefore, they basically remain as is and they're not, there isn't really a formula that the courts follow right now. So whatever the courts regard as reasonable, that is what they will take as average. So Richard would have a good case after seven years. Absolutely. For sure. Right. What if a company, I mean, most companies who offer a bonus, I would guess, would say it depends on market conditions, economic conditions. I don't know how you argue that in a court of law. Most would, I suppose, say something like paid at a company's discretion. How do you uh, exactly? See that? And these, and this is where we see a lot of uh, a lot of confusion because a lot of the agreements are drafted exactly with the same words that you mm. just mentioned, such as company's discretion, depending on company's performance, and so on yeah. and so forth. The court do not really look at the language as much as they look at the actual uh, the actual payments uh, so let's say if someone has been receiving a salary for the last you know, let's take Richard's case for the last seven years of guaranteed bonus of two months even if it was not mentioned in the contract plus another three months of various commission payments every every year for the last seven years that will be considered as regular enough payment irrespective of what you basically whether it was classified as a, a, up to discretion or as a one-time payment it does not matter so the courts actually look 
look at the actual payment. And to do that, the best uh, uh, piece of evidence are actually bank statements. Okay, so hopefully that helped uh, there, Richard. Another one for you, Ludmilla. Um, I've been working in a steel company for more than 10 years. I want to join another company who are our competitors. Is there any clause in the labour contract that I can't join a competitor? Um, Being in the same industry for more than 10 years, I can't exactly go to a supermarket or any other industry as my experience is my identity, says Ahmed. Uh, Well... Ahmed is asking a question whether there is a clause in the labor contract. Well, Ahmed, that is that is up to your labor contract, so I encourage that you look at your labor contract to see if there is a clause to the effect. If the question is whether there is something in the law that um, by default applies to all employees in terms of non-competition, there is not one. Uh, so, but the law does allow companies to include a non-competition provision in their employment agreement. So therefore, it really depends on what your agreement says. So if your agreement does not include a non-competition agreement, then you do not, you're not subject to non-compete. What does often happen, however, is with companies at the end of um, employment, companies then have their employees sign a non-competition undertaking. Uh, those undertakings are not really valid, obviously, unless you sign them. Uh, and uh, they, the company cannot force you to sign one because there's nothing in the law that requires you to do so. Now, if there is a non-competition clause in the agreement, they will, generally speaking, be enforceable if they are reasonable. Now, what that means, what reasonable means is a subjective exercise, but generally speaking, courts look at location, term, and scope in terms of reasonableness. So as Ahmed rightfully pointed out, he worked for a company in a particular industry for the last 10 years. He can't go and serve coffee now, so he has to be able to earn a living. So the courts will look at what that non-competition clause provides for us. If it's, for example, for two years, it's not likely the court will ever enforce that. If it's for two years anywhere in the UAE, uh, similarly, it's, it's too broad for it, for it to be enforceable. So in order for companies to actually have a non-competition clause that they uh, should have, they can have the expectation of being enforced, it needs to be re- very narrowly tailored. So in terms of the, its geography, in terms of the, the duration, and in terms also of the skills uh, or responsibilities that are attached to that, the, to that job position. Because you cannot say, you cannot go, to, for example, to Ahmed, you can not go work for any kind of steel company. I mean, what is competition? So a competitor has to be very narrowly defined. So if the agreement is that narrowly defined, then it will be enforced. So check your contract first of all, Ahmed. And I just want to quickly squeeze this one in, Ludmilla, because it pertains to something that you mentioned earlier. Tahir says, I'm on three months probation. My company has neither extended it nor confirmed my appointment, what should I do? Great question. Uh, This principle has been settled by uh, the courts um, long ago that probation is confirmed uh, unless it isn't. So unless there is an explicit writing that uh, states that probation has been, um, or the, I guess the employment has been terminated. And we have seen this um, uh, quite often because often what, what companies do is that will actually they will have in their offer letter uh, a clause that states that they will confirm, uh, at the end of probation, they will confirm that person employment. It has to be uh, confirmed in writing. Well, that particular clause is not enforceable because the courts will look, it's, it's the other way around. So you will, they will only look for writing that basically terminates the employment relationship but if there is no writing it's the employment is confirmed and that principle has been settled quite a quite a long time ago a little bit rude though isn't it not to confirm somebody's employment isn't that shouldn't that just be a matter of course or is it is it standard uh, well indeed i mean i think as, as, a, as a business practice you're absolutely right it should be confirmed but um well, you know this is a practice that we've seen that is it's quite common and mm. uh, so i'm not surprised that it 
It exists. Okay. Uh, let's bring in the owner of uh, Palazzo McKenzie, David McKenzie from McKenzie <laughs> Jones. Uh, at this point, I've got another question for you. Uh, you wanted to bring this up today, and I'm interested in your answer to this, how to effectively use a recruitment consultant, mm. how to work with people to find you know, your next uh, rung on the ladder, if you like, and how to get the best in your job search. And you said off air, and correct me if I'm wrong, you said we're, we're not as good as we should be. No, no, I think yeah. we're failing candidates in this marketplace. I think recruitment consultants, and I'm going to be drummed out of the brownie club now, is I think we're failing candidates because we're, we're not getting back to them, uh, we're not giving the best of career advice, and, and there's a reason for that. We are getting inundated with candidates who are not relevant for jobs that they're applying for. And unfortunately, my, my consultants, <clears throat> let me explain what a recruitment consultant does. We are mm. paid to find people a job by our clients, and our clients ask us for a candidate, and we find a candidate, and they pay a fee for it. What they don't do is they say, could you find A, B, or C, and we'll pay you maybe half. We are, we are literally there. So, you know, the car analogy, if somebody wants a BMW, they go to a BMW garage, they don't go to a Honda one. So recruiters are used for a very specific purpose, and the clients pay for us to get a short list of narrow-down people who we've met, we've discussed, we know their, their key skills, and, and the right culture fit for their company. Do you know, David, one of the, the familiar complaints that we hear from people such as yourself mm. is very often when candidates are applying for positions, they're not really looking at the fine print there. And it is kind of a scattergun approach, yeah. isn't it? And that's, that's a pain because it's a real drain on resources. And you cannot be effective in that situation. We, give an example, Tim. Mackenzie Jones and the group that I, I work with, and there's five different companies. So we get numerous, we place numerous adverts. So two weeks ago, we had, we've got three servers that service our email. We had 25,000 emails in one day. Our, our consultants get on average, for every one job advert they, they run, they get 800 replies, of which probably 10 are relevant. Now, I have complete understanding for candidates in this market because it's a, it's a frightening market where there are very few jobs and there's loads of candidates. But you're not helping us and, and we can't help you because if you look at the advert and it says an HR manager and you're a sales manager, don't apply mm. because all that happens is you get frustrated, we get frustrated, we see your name half a dozen times for 15 different jobs, we're not going to call you back. I'm sorry, this I'm, I'm demystifying recruitment here, but basically we are there to provide a service that the clients pay for. So we can't go completely off-piste and find somebody that is completely irrelevant for a job. What we can do, and this is where we add value, if you're a, um, a good consultant, you will get to know candidates and you'll get to understand what they're like, their culture, how they work, and what they're good at. And if a client says to you, I'm looking for A, we might go, look, we've got, a, we've got an A plus here. These are the reasons why you should see the person. Because we've got a good relationship with the client, we can do that. What we can't do is go from A to C. All right, David McKenzie is here from McKenzie Jones talking about uh, how to use a recruitment consultant to uh, best effect and how to get the best in your job search. Lamilla Yamalava is here from Yamalava and Plethka answering legal queries on Career Connect today. We've been looking at the trends that may shape your professional future, the jobs that may not exist yet but will exist in the future. More on that to come. More questions coming in by text and we'll be talking to, I think, Hanin after the break. We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook. 
tweet at Dubai Eye 1038 FM. Live, it is uh, Career Connect. We'll talk to Henny in a few moments on the phone. Lots and lots of questions coming in here. And as is always the case, actually, Ludmilla Yamalaba is with us answering legal questions. Ludmilla, always, always lots of questions about com- uh, competition clauses in contracts. I'm just looking down the list here. Are non-competes legal? I've been offered a role with the competitor, but I have a non-compete clause. Is it enforceable? Should we just have a look at this? Uh, sure. So let me, uh, just in, in simple terms, uh, non-competition agreements are legal as long as they're reasonable. Now, are they enforceable? Yes, they're enforceable, once again, if they're reasonable, reasonable and narrowly tailored. N- now let me clarify what enforceability means, and that is... Uh, Non-competes are not enforced in the same way that they are enforced in other jurisdictions, which a lot of companies expect here, and that is an injunctive relief. So, for example, in other jurisdictions, the way it works is the company can actually go to the court and ask the court for an order preventing somebody from working for a competitor, and that Mm -hmm. is obviously if the non-competition agreement is properly drafted. Here in the UAE, the courts do not have that power. They do not have power to issue an injunctive relief or, or prevent somebody from doing something. What they can do is they can actually award compensation to companies, to employers, uh, for breach of contract. So in other words, if you have a well-drafted, narrowly tailored uh, non-competition agreement and the employee uh, violates that agreement, then the company can file a case against that employee in court and seek compensation for violating that agreement. Now, another important or essential element of that um, exercise is the company has to show how it suffered damages. So the damages have to actually be actual. So it's not enough to just show to the to the court that that agreement has been violated or breached, but you need to also show how you have suffered and the, the, your, the damages that you have suffered as a company were directly related related to that employee's breach of contract. So in other words, you cannot prevent the damage from happening. You can only seek compensation for the damage once it has already happened. Okay, lots of questions coming in about that. I hope that's answered one that's just come in now. Um, let's talk to Hanine, who I think should be on line two. Hanine, good to have you on. Hi, hi guys. Uh, so um, you have a question for Ludmilla, Hanine, and this is about your husband's contract. I'll let you put that to her. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I'm actually speaking on behalf of my of my husband. So what happened is that in his uh, contract uh, with the company, it mentioned that his gratuity is included in his monthly salary. So you know, uh, he's still working with the company, but this is just a question that in the event that he resigns, you know what 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 should be done you know is this legal you know in 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 the court of law can the company do that and not pay his gratuity at the end of his service okay Hanin. so uh, simple question pretty direct question for you ludmilla this uh, gentleman's gratuity is included apparently in his monthly salary how does that work in short that agreement is not or that clause is not valid the courts will never enforce an agreement that's drafted like that because a gratuity can only be paid uh, at the end of uh, terminate uh, at the end of employment and uh, because the, the formula of how you calculate gratuity also changes depending on the duration of service and depending on whether it's termination versus resignation and so on and so forth and also bonuses or commissions or any additional payments that's why gratuity could never be included in the monthly salary so an agreement like that would not be enforced in short. Hanine does that help you? 
Yes, it helps a lot. Really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Good of you to talk to us, Sunine. Uh, all the best. Say hi to your husband uh, for us, all here at Dubai Eye. There's another question for you, uh, minute. David, I'm coming back to you in a minute, I promise. And I won't <laughs> feel mention... feel left out. Uh, I, I know. Well, so do I, to be honest. No more about Palazzo McKenzie. Um, here's another one. This is an interesting one, I think. If a British company, Ludmilla, says in uh, a contract that it's governed by the law of the United Kingdom and Wales... Uh, in the DIFC, I believe this is specifically. Is that applicable here in the UAE? Uh, well, this sounds like it's a the DIFC contract, which is different, and this is important okay. to highlight the difference between the DIFC laws and the, um, the the UAE labor laws. However, even in the DIFC law, the DIFC laws clearly state that all DIFC employees are subject to exclusive jurisdiction of the DIFC courts and the DIFC employment laws. So, therefore, it's uh, uh, the laws of a different country for employment purposes cannot apply to the employees of the DFC. So, no, that will not be legal. Okay, we'll come to one more question in a few moments' time. Let me ask you this, uh, David, back to the mm. point we made just before the break. We were talking about how to get the best out of recruiters, how mm. to get the best out of you when you come in the room here. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody's looking for a job at the moment, they're getting nowhere. Yep. What, are the, what are the top three things that somebody needs to do if they're not doing it? Right, be proactive, Right, be positive, I think is, is the second one. But engage with recruiters in your specific field. They're the ones that will be able to give you advice and guidance, but don't stalk them, engage with them. So um, con- uh, connect them through LinkedIn, go on to uh, LinkedIn to look at the jobs there, go on to Gulf Talent, look at the job sites, and basically start targeting the companies you want to work for. But don't try, and this market is certainly cross disciplines because if you're a salesman you're not going to get an hr job okay uh what about if you're i don't know my engaging could be claire's stalking what's the difference there it's a very good <laughs> point i think i think yeah i don't know about that but i'll, <laughs> I'll move on quickly um i think but it's a serious point you no know, it's a very it's a very good point i think yeah how persistent yeah, do yeah. you want to be yeah. yeah you will know when you're being too persistent because people won't return your calls after a while so if you okay. call somebody every day that's stalking um, if you catch up with them, you know, once a week or once a month, you know, how are things going? Uh, and you engage with it's like when you, it's like when you meet somebody socially. And if you meet somebody the first time, if you call them every day after you've met for the first time, we're bordering on slightly weird there, aren't we? Bit odd, yeah. Bunny boiler, T- Tim's bunny boiler bit. alert. Exactly. Or I, I, I'm just thinking that's where I went wrong in <laughs> so much in my life. <laughs> but on, on a, not to be too glib, I think that the reality is you just got to engage with recruiters. They want they earn money by placing people. They want to help you, mm. providing you're the right candidate for them. If you're not, the good ones will say to you, "We can't help you." How do you stand out? Because you were just telling me how many emails yeah. coming to your inbox, and I can imagine if people are desperate for jobs, are going to fire emails. How do you make yourself stand out if you are genuine and you are focused? Yeah. How do I get you to read my email? So the good thing is, I met a gentleman yesterday at this career forum I do with Manchester um, MBA School, and he was super bright, well-educated, a COO for a company, and he asked the same question. I said, okay, how do you stand out as being an expert in your field? You write blogs. You become a thought leader. They, they cost nothing. You start engaging with the people on LinkedIn who are the thought leaders in that industry. You talk to the consultants of the experts in that industry. And it'll take time, by the way. It's a bit like training for a marathon. You go gradually, and then you get better and better and better. But it, it, it's very frustrating. Look, I, I, this market is very difficult. It's the worst I've ever seen it, but it's getting better. We're actually seeing an increase in jobs. We're starting to get to the candidates we want to speak to. But the problem is in this market, everyone applies for every job, irrelevant whether they're relevant or not. That is the issue, nothing more. OK, 
Okay, some positivity there. I yeah. think that's all the time we've got at the moment. Unfortunately, so many questions that we uh, haven't been able to get to. We will keep the questions uh, and we'll try to uh, answer them. If not uh, on the website, Dubai1038.com, we'll try to answer them next week uh, if we can fit them in. Thanks for texting in. Thank you, Ludmilla Yamalaba. Nice to see you. My pleasure, as always. We'll let you go now. You can take your bedding away from the sofa <laughs> <laughs> from your two days of appearances here. Uh, and also David McKenzie. And also Elfty's, uh, what are they called? Broken Biscuit Broken cakes. Biscuit Cake, yeah. Tremendous. Your wife is some cook, so she is. And thanks again. <laughs> nice to see you. That's, That's a pleasure.